Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. This story happened around 15 years ago, so the memory isn't as clear as it used to be. And my younger brother, who was with me at the time, has completely forgotten about it over the years. I don't know if this was some kind of glitch in the simulation thing, or a ghost, or some kind of weird prank, but it still weirds me out to this day. When I was around nine, I was playing with my little brother, who's five years younger than me. We were in our garden. It was after school. There are a couple of things that you do need to know about certain parts of the layout of our house to understand why this has spooked me for so many years. As we look up at the house, the upstairs window that faces the garden is the bathroom window. It's covered by that blurry, translucent material that prevents people from the outside seeing inside. Directly behind the upstairs bathroom is the corridor of the second level of the house. Now, in that corridor... I have a recollection of my father doing some kind of loud DIY work. Memory steals the exact details from me, but it was loud. Loud enough to be heard from outside of the house in the garden. He's always doing stuff like that. He even knocked down the walls and expanded half of the house in 2017. But anyway, the point is, his location in the house is outside of the bathroom and the narrow corridor performing an activity that's loud enough to be heard from the garden, where I and my brother were. Every time we heard the sound of an electric saw or some kind of power tool, we knew that he was there. My little brother and I had been outside for a while when the sun began to set, and it started to get cold. I took my brother to the door and tried to open it. At the time, I thought that the door was locked, and I began to panic because I thought that my father had locked it, forgetting that we were outside. Retrospectively, I realized that the door was just stuck as it often was, and my weak little nine-year-old arms just couldn't pull it open. I took my little brother back to the middle of the garden, where we could see the bathroom window, and tried to yell to get my dad's attention. Every so often, the power tool would pause, and I'd try to yell so he could hear me. I panicked more and more as I realized that we were going to be stuck in the dark until he remembered that we were out there. This is when the creepy shit started. The bathroom window opened, and it was one of those separated windows, so you still couldn't see the person, but just whatever stuck out the window. Out of the window came a hand holding a blue and silver video camera. I'll never forget it. This is the memory that time could just never steal from me. It was one of those video cameras with the viewfinder on the side that flipped outwards. The camera was pointing towards me and my brother in the garden. They were filming us. I recognized the hand holding the camera immediately. It was my father's hand. The hand did this repeatedly. I distinctly remember seeing the hand come out of the window with the camera at least three times to film for a little under than one minute before retreating back into the window. Now here are some things that just don't make sense to me. The hand looked like my father's hand, but whoever was filming us was not my father. I know this because I could still hear the power tools going on. My father was the only one in the house. Due to his location in the house, being right outside of the bathroom, my father would have been able to see if somebody was in the bathroom or at least know that somebody had walked in there. The next weird thing is the fact that my father owns one or two video cameras, but they're all black. 
he does not own a blue and silver video camera. I know because I've got an obsessive personality, and if he did own one, I sure as hell would have found it with the way that I tore the house apart looking for it when I eventually did get inside for the years to come. If my dad had that camera, he wouldn't have disposed of it. I get my barely socially acceptable levels of hoarder personality from him. He doesn't just throw stuff away like that. The last thing that I remember is the hand. As I said, I recognize the hand immediately. My father has very distinctive, large, thick hands. So, how was it that I was hearing him drilling and sawing away at something, but I was also seeing his hands come out of the window? He couldn't possibly be in two places at once. All his siblings are spread around the globe. None of his brothers are in this country. So, it wasn't some rogue uncle with similar hands hiding in the bathroom. Even if you had argued that perhaps he had moved locations and I was hearing the saw from another location in the house, it doesn't explain how I was hearing the tool and seeing the hand holding the camera simultaneously. I turned to ask my brother if he could see what I was seeing. I thought that I was going crazy. He confirmed that he could see it too and also seemed to share my fear. I didn't know what to do. I felt helpless so I ran back to the door and tried to stay out of view of the camera. I was trying my hardest to open that door. Eventually, the sound of the power tool stopped and the door opened. It was my father, very annoyed that we had stayed out in the garden for as long as we did. He was also irritated that I was claiming that the door was locked. But the first words out of my mouth weren't about that. They were, Was that you? Were you filming us? My father looked at me incredulously, confused and irritated. He asked me what I was talking about and looked at me like I was insane. Because obviously, he had not moved from where he was working and saw nobody walk into that bathroom. My relationship with my parents has always been strained, starting from when I was incredibly young. They had a great sense of unearned distrust in me. They had this idea that I was always lying about something which sort of ruined our relationship from the start and has given me really horrible trauma around the subjects of lies and liars. It has made it very hard for me to lie to anyone, even in normal situations where most people would genuinely expect you to, or rather, you did. I was a good kid. I didn't tell lies, sneak out, talk back, or any of those typical naughty kid things. I was too scared anyway. It wasn't very odd or out of character that my dad didn't take me seriously and got annoyed with me instead. In his mind, I was making things up. Some might argue that, say, perhaps, it was some sort of prank and it was my dad holding the camera. Maybe, for some odd reason, he had just left his power tool on. To the naysayer, I would let you know that my father is not the pranking type. I don't know what else to say there except that when I looked into my father's eyes and asked him if it was him, I knew right then that it was not. When my mother came home, I asked if she owned a blue and silver camera. She said no. Every couple of years, I remember this story and I go on a hunt online looking for that specific type of camera. I've never been able to find the exact model as I couldn't make out the silver letters on the side of the camera from where I was standing. It's gotten harder as the years have gone by and technology progresses. I watched my little brother's memory of that day slip away until finally his only memory of it was of me asking him if he remembers. I get scared thinking about one day accidentally stumbling upon that footage somewhere, seeing me as a little girl with her brother out in the garden looking up, crying. I don't know what I'd do if I ever saw it. This event has scared me for so long that if I ever found out that somehow it was just a bit, some planned prank that my dad was in on, I think I would walk out the door and never come back. It's dramatic, I know, but I have a thing about lies. I wonder where that came from. Anyway, to whoever or whatever that had my dad's hands 
that was filming me and my brother 15 years ago? Let's never meet. your episodes, there was a story about someone dreaming about a future event. I have had this happen to me for most of my life, and since I am a religious person, I always chalk it up to God, giving me a heads up on what's going to happen in my life. Anyways, when I was 12, my mom was having my grandpa come over to help fix some things in the backyard and put up a new patio awning. He was naturally handy and could do just about anything. It was the first week of the new year, and he had spent that weekend with us, fixing things and assembling the new awning. I absolutely loved my grandpa, and we had a very close relationship, so I was always excited to have him over. He had spent Saturday and Sunday with us, even staying for dinner. On Sunday, I had to go to bed early because of school the next morning. That night, I had one of my first future dreams. In my dream, I walked into this large room with what looked like hundreds of people standing in it, dressed in all black, with their backs facing me. They were also a lot taller than me, since I was just a kid. I kept turning all these people around to see what was going on. I must have turned around five or six people, all of them kneeling and crying, saying, Oh honey, I'm so sorry for your loss. What did I lose? I ask. But no one would tell me. Finally, I turned a figure around and it was my dad. I asked him, Dad, what's going on? Why are all these people crying and telling me I lost something? He replies, Honey, don't you remember? Your grandpa is dead. In that second, everyone in the room disappeared, and I turned to see my grandpa in a hospital room, flatlined, lying in a bed. I got up the next morning and immediately told my mom. I was so scared and felt like it was so real. She reassured me that nothing was going to happen and that my grandpa was fine. I asked her if we could have him over for dinner every night that week because I wanted to make sure. Fast forward to Friday night, I'm asleep in my bed when around 11pm my mom comes into my room and says that we need to get up. Grandpa was rushed to the hospital and was unresponsive. My dad picked up my brother and I once we got to our grandparents which was only a mile or two down the road. He took me to my other grandma's, his mother's, for the night and we stayed there. In the morning, both my parents, who were already divorced for some time, came to pick us up. They sat us down on the couch and explained that my grandpa had suddenly passed away. All the while, my mom was sobbing. She grabbed my hands And I'll never forget her saying, You knew. You knew. To this day, I can still see that dream clearly in my head. I'm thankful that I trusted my intuition, because it meant that I got to spend every night with my grandpa right up until his death. I've had many other dreams that have come true, but I'll start here. I'll share some others soon. I've suffered from sleep disturbances for as long as I can remember. Night terrors, sleepwalking, restless legs, insomnia, and reoccurring nightmares. When I was young, I had a recurring nightmare that still frightens me to this day. I think I was around five when they started, not old enough to properly express to my parents the fear that this dream instilled in me. 
The dream doesn't sound like much either because I couldn't see anything. It was all sound and perception. Even though my vision was black, I knew that I was standing on a cliff overlooking a vast, empty, dead space, like a desert. It was silent, with no wind or noise of any kind. It's strange because I couldn't see any of this, but I knew that it was there. It was like I was blind, but I could still see in my mind. There was something standing near me, and they were small and insignificant. You know when you have a vague character in a movie that you know just from seeing them they're going to be the first to die? It was like that. I couldn't identify them. All I know is that they were small, almost elf-like in stature. Even as a five-year-old, they gave off an almost pathetic vibe to me. They seemed to be shaking, scared, and miserable. There was also a presence in front of us, one that I can only describe as monstrous. An enormous mountain of something. It was very old and emanated this malevolent and violent energy that made me feel sick. It wasn't looking at us, though. It was large enough that we were just ants in its presence. I did my best not to move or make a sound so as not to attract its attention. I was almost wetting myself with fear just being near this thing. The person or thing next to me sneezed, and as soon as it did, I felt the mountain's attention shift to them. They immediately panicked and started apologizing and begging for forgiveness. All the while, the malevolent presence kept moving closer and closer to us, and I knew it was going to kill them. The person started sobbing in absolute terror, and that's when I would wake up. I would always wake before anything further happened in my dream, but it was always the same. The cliff, the small person, the presence, and the sneeze. I cannot properly convey the extreme horror this evil presence made me feel. Even now, some 30 years later, I feel a sickening sense of unease and dread in the pit of my stomach while typing this. I only had the dream maybe half a dozen times, but it has never left me. I can remember it like it was last night. I've never experienced anything supernatural before that I'm aware of, but listening to this podcast has opened me up to the idea that maybe this wasn't just my brain. Maybe this was something else. Whatever it was, I hope to never dream it again. Because next time, I might be able to see it. I asked my mom if she would be okay with me sharing this story on the podcast. She agreed, as long as I don't say where the house is located. My mom and her family grew up in this house in the late 70s. While living there, they experienced really weird and unexplainable situations that still haunt them to this day. For a quick backstory... My grandparents moved into this house in 1972. It was my grandma, grandpa, my mom, and her two sisters. The house was built in 1912 and overlooks the lake. It's almost like a house on a hill, and from the street, you can't see the house itself because of the surrounding bushes. But once you get past that, you can see the house in all its glory. It's beautiful. I need to ask my mom how long they lived there and why exactly they decided to move. Unfortunately, my grandparents are not around anymore for me to ask about this in more detail, but I do remember their stories. My grandpa would always tell me about the time he was so scared that the hair on the back of his neck stood up. The basement in this house was not finished as most basements in the area were practically set up for coal miners to come home and have a place to take off their work clothes and clean up without dirtying the upper floors of the house. Down in the basement, they had a long closet where they kept most of their dry goods. It was a long and narrow stretch, 
with four light bulbs evenly spaced out to light the entire space. There were no windows either. The only light source came from those four bulbs overhead, as well as a little bit of light that came through the door, which my grandpa would leave open while traveling down the closet. While down there looking around, he noticed the first light go out. Thinking he just needed to replace it, he kept searching for the item he needed until he watched the next light go out. This continued until all of the lights were now out. He said he had an uneasy feeling and he tried to pull the string to turn the light back on and it did not work. Then the door that was open at the end of the closet slammed shut, leaving him now in complete darkness. Now, as my grandpa would love to say, all the hair on his body was standing straight up. He decided that what he was looking for was no longer important and hurried back upstairs. He said he never went down into the basement alone again and always made sure to bring a flashlight when he did go. The ghost sometimes sounded like more of a trickster than anything else. I've heard some other small but memorable stories. Here's a few more. My great aunt would tell me she always heard old-time music coming from the downstairs bathroom, but when she would get closer to the bathroom, it would stop. She wasn't the only person to hear this music either, as it was a normal occurrence in the house. On one occasion, my mom had come home from school to find her red nail polish all over her carpet. The creepiest part was, no one was home that day, and then the way the nail polish was spilled. She said it covered her carpet in a zigzag pattern. Other times, my youngest aunt would be seen or heard talking and having full-blown conversations with someone who was not there. She was never really frightened, but it did frighten everyone else who heard it. This last story is about the worst thing to happen in the house. No one likes to talk about it, especially my oldest aunt. In middle school, she threw a Halloween party at the house. Things were normal until my aunt and her friends wanted to go into the basement. They knew the house was haunted and wanted to try and get some good scares in before Halloween was over. My aunt said she's not sure what exactly was said, but that she and her friends started making fun of the spirit that lived in the house. It went on for a couple of minutes, until my aunt suddenly had a sharp shooting pain in her stomach that caused her to kneel over. It became very difficult for her to breathe, let alone speak. My grandparents, not knowing what was wrong, and not noticing any sign of her condition letting up, said the party was over and rushed my aunt to the hospital. The hospital kept her overnight and ran tests, but they couldn't find anything wrong with her at all. To this day, no one really knows what happened, but if they had to take a guess, they would say it was the ghost. My aunt admitted that she felt better as soon as she left the house to go to the hospital. The next day, my grandma discovered something very strange about the Polaroid picture she had taken of my aunt and her friends at the Halloween party. They were in the doorway of the house, all huddled together in costumes, and behind one of the girls was a tall, dark shadow figure looming over them. They eventually moved out of the house and relocated across town. It's funny because I actually ended up moving to the same town where they grew up. When my mom comes up and visits, she drives me over to her old house. We can't see much from the road, but she's always wanting to take a peek. Last year, she saw that the house was up for sale and it was selling for almost a million dollars. She got a real kick out of that. I wonder if the people who live there now experience what my mom's family experienced. Without giving too much away, 
they did find out that the man who built the house in 1912 built it for his wife. Rumor has it, she hated the house, and the couple was on the brink of separation. The man ended up killing himself inside of it. So who knows, maybe it was his ghost that was haunting my mom and her family. I hope he has found the peace he needs and has moved on. I was about eight or nine. It was the early 2000s. My bedroom was in the basement, but I didn't have an actual room. It was just my bed and stuff in the open space in the basement. I had a Goosebumps bed set, a cassette-only boombox, and a giant stuffed gorilla that I put a clown wig on and had sitting in an inflatable chair. You know, all the classic 90s, early 2000s stuff. Also, I loved horror movies since I was way too young to be watching them. Silver Bullet, Fright Night, People Under the Stairs, those are the first horror movies I remember seeing when I was about six or seven. I was hooked from then on. I haven't seen a truly scary movie in years. Sometimes I worry that there's something wrong with me because other people are so afraid of things like that, and I'm like, meh about it. I only mention this because the basement was creepy, and most people did not like to go down there. I loved it, though, so I was never really afraid while down there. If anything, I wanted a reason to be afraid. There was a shower in the basement as well. I had just gotten out of the shower and was walking back to my quote-unquote room. As far as I can remember, I was home alone. When you walk out of the room with the shower... You walked a little ways, and then the room opened up to the right. That open area was my room. As soon as I turned the corner, I immediately felt as though somebody was talking to me. Not out loud, but like talking to me in my head. I was holding my towel up with one hand, so I only had one free hand. I put my hand up to my ear, but I realized... I couldn't hear my hand on my ear. I couldn't hear anything that was going on around me. I could only hear what was in my head. Suddenly, there was this small light in front of me about the size of a baseball. It was a bright white light. The voice in my head became clearer, and the light grew larger. The light was now the size of an adult, or at least from a child's point of view. I could see a silhouette right behind the light. I could tell that there was somebody there, I just couldn't really see them. I felt scared for just a brief moment, and then I realized that this wasn't a bad thing. At this moment, the voice very clearly said, Don't worry, everything will be okay. My mom is much younger than my siblings. Her 22-year-old brother passed away in a motorcycle accident when my mom was just eight so obviously I never met him. But, for some reason, I knew that this light was him, Terry Joe. From the stories that I heard about him, I think we're sort of kindred spirits. Both are somewhat black sheeps of our respective immediate families. I felt such peace at that moment, so much so that I couldn't help but burst into tears. Happy tears, but so overwhelming. Because of my queer identity and how abstract I was compared to the rest of the people around me in that small Iowa town, I went through a lot of difficult times until I finally graduated and left that town. I feel like my Uncle Terry knew that I was going to be viewed as different. I think he wanted me to know that I could make it through these extremely difficult times. I never met the guy, but I think he was probably awesome. I haven't heard from or seen him again, but I think about this moment almost every day.
My husband and I have lived in our current apartment for seven years. It's a basic two-bedroom apartment in an eight-unit building. It's not overly old either, built in maybe the 80s, and has no wild or weird history. For the majority of the past seven years, our second bedroom was used primarily as storage and a spare room for guests on rare occasions. Nothing unusual ever happened during that time, and our guests never suggested that anything felt off or strange. Then, in August of 2021, everything changed. Our son was born three months early and spent those three months in the NICU as we prepared to get that second bedroom transformed into a nursery for him. He finally came home, and we settled comfortably into our new life with a newborn and a general lack of sleep. One morning, I woke up at 2 a.m. to get ready for work when I heard loud talking coming from my son's bedroom. I went into his room and found a tablet that we keep in there turned onto our son's favorite YouTube video, and the sound was turned all the way up. Now, our son was only about nine months old at the time, and because he was premature, he had just learned how to roll onto his tummy and couldn't even sit up on his own, much less get a hold of the tablet that was on the dresser several feet away from his crib. The tablet has a lock screen, and I have never turned the volume all the way up. My husband was out with friends, so I thought maybe our son had woken up when I was asleep, and my husband turned on his favorite show for him and forgot to turn it off before he went out. It didn't quite feel right, though, because I never sleep through our son crying, so I would have woken up. When my husband got home, I asked him if he had turned on the tablet before he went out, and if I had slept through our son waking up. He said no, and that he put him to bed and he fell asleep right away, and he went out a little later while our son was still asleep. I chalked it up to a technology glitch. About three months later, I put our son to bed like I always do, wearing pajamas and a sleep sack and nothing else in his crib with him. In the morning, when I went into his room, he was playing with his favorite toy. He was only about a year old and couldn't walk or climb in or out of his crib or even touch his doorknob. Because it was his favorite toy, I always put it away in the same spot every night to make sure it didn't get lost. And that spot was in an entirely different room. I couldn't really explain that one away. My husband said that maybe I was more tired than I realized and that it was tucked in with his sleep sack when I put him to bed, but I know I put it in its normal spot. That's when I started wondering if maybe there was more to these two situations. Both events involved our son's favorite things, comfort items. I wondered if maybe there was someone watching over him and making sure he is happy. The most recent event was shortly after Thanksgiving of 2022. My husband's mom passed away unexpectedly. While going through some of her personal items, my husband found a little porcelain angel baby figurine that he decided to keep. He wanted to put it in our son's nursery. That night, I put it on our son's dresser, where it was up out of his reach, so he couldn't get to it and possibly break it. In the morning, I went to get our son out of his crib, and when I walked into the room, I saw that figurine sitting on the floor, across the room and away from both the dresser and the crib. It was sitting right side up, with no damage. The wings on this figurine are very fragile, and I would have expected them to break if the figurine fell off the high dresser or was somehow thrown across the room. Nothing else was moved, and our son was still in his crib. To this day, he still cannot climb out of his crib, and he can't reach his dresser from it either. 
That's when I knew it had to be more than just glitching electronics or me being forgetful. We have never had any negative feelings. Everything that has happened seems to be comforting or positive. To backtrack just a bit, in January of 2020, our first son was born even earlier than his baby brother, and sadly, we lost him shortly after he was born. When I was discharged from the hospital after delivering our second son, we stopped at the cemetery to visit our firstborn. I sat at his stone and told him all about his baby brother and how he was fighting for his life. I asked him to watch over and keep an eye on him for me. I think that he listened to me and has been keeping an eye on his baby brother ever since, and it was him trying to make sure that he was always happy. And I think maybe the angel figurine was to let us know that his grandma was with him now. We haven't had any experiences since the angel, but because everything has been so positive, peaceful, and comforting, I'm not worried about any future events that might occur. And if it is my other baby boy, let's meet again one day. So let's chat about some of these stories real quick. I will be honest, I was almost brought to tears when I read through Luis's recurring childhood nightmare story because this one was so similar to mine. Coincidentally, in mine, I was unable to see physically just as Luis was. Everything was dark just as Luis's story was. But I could still make out the objects or the people in the scene through some sort of dream perception. Mm -hmm. And I was having this dream consistently around the age of eight over and over and over again. Now, in my dream, instead of like Luis's dream where they had one tiny being by their side and then that giant mountainous monster thing, I had this entire field in front of me of all these tiny people, like very tiny. And... They were all about the size of flowers, and similar to flowers, they were all stuck into the ground. They couldn't move. My giant malevolent mountain, like Luis's dream had, was instead an enormous vacuum-like monster. So imagine this. It's, it's pitch black. You can't see anything, but you're somehow perceiving in the darkness this field of tiny beings and then this giant vacuum Thing. And it's sucking up or harvesting all of these small beings in the field, like crops. I'm kind of thinking of a fantastic planet with all the small beings. Is that Was it kind of like that? Yeah, I mean, I was eight. I had never seen Fantastic Planet, but okay. watch, looking back on it now that I've watched that as an adult, I can totally see that. The thing about it was its size was so massive that it was just overwhelming. So overwhelming that I would always wake up crying from the dream every single time. I just felt so small and alone because of how gigantic it was. And this dream, like I said, it was recurring over over and over and over again when I was eight. But while it was slightly different than Luis's story, it was similar enough that I could relate to the person and their suffering mm -hmm. from something that a lot of people would consider just a bad dream. It really didn't feel like a bad dream. I had had a million bad dreams leading up to that, but this one was so different and it felt like more than a dream. It was always consistent and it was happening most nights. So that being said, do you, Brandon, have any recurring nightmares from your childhood or did you have any when you were a child? Actually, yeah, it wasn't super vivid, but I do recall encountering this really strange figure. He had a face that kind of resembled the mask from Phantom of the Opera and he had really, really long feet, almost like clown shoes, but they were sharp and pointy. And I remember running down this narrow hallway that would open up into like, again, this big vastness that we're talking about with like checkered flooring. And he would get closer to me because of his shoes. So even though he might be farther away, his shoes would close the distance and he would just be tapping right at my heels, tapping and tapping, letting me know he was always there. And then I think I saw something like on Nickelodeon, some cartoon character mentioned 
casting away demons by saying, I'm not afraid of you or <laughs> yeah. something like that. It's probably like, and are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> probably, probably. And then one of the times I had that dream, I remembered that and I straight up said, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And then he just crumbled into dust. And then that was it. And that was the last time I dreamt of it. But it was scary. It was a very real game of cat and mouse. And that's the first nightmare I can remember ever having. So did this, was this a recurring nightmare though? This was something that you would always have. Yeah, Yeah, that's so weird how we would have returning characters and returning dreams as a child because I don't necessarily get that nowadays. I I often find myself returning to places of childhood a lot in my dreams. Like I'll be in an old house that I used to live in or something like that, Mm -hmm. but never like the same dream over and over again like you would when you were a kid. Something about being a kid and dreaming you're just way more sensitive to it. It's just, it's a completely different game. Yeah, yeah. Now concerning the story about the blue and silver video camera, I want to touch on this real quick. Maybe it was just dumb luck with the stories that we chose this week, but this one really scared me as well. This is something that we kind of touched on with Timothy Renner in our interview a few weeks back, but these spirits and others, as he referred to them, that disguise themselves as something or somebody that we're familiar with, it really cranks up the fear factor to 11 for me personally. And the fact that they couldn't see anything but this person's hands is so like ominous and unearthly. It makes me think of them as being like disembodied floating ghost hands of their father. But the ultimate creep factor here is that these doppelganger hands or whatever you want to call them, they were using a camera to film children yeah first playing and then crying in their garden and looking up at this terrifying image filming anybody's kids that aren't your own in the first place it should be illegal you think it would be why does the first amendment cover that i don't understand illegal no it should definitely be illegal oh if you're out in public you can film i do know like people get dissuaded from filming kids at like parks and whatnot rather quickly but it is a protected right just to film out in public Jesus, that's a right that needs to be taken away. And I don't say that often. (laughs) I don't say that often. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, neither of us do. But I'm in agreement with you there. Kids are (laughs) off limits. Yeah, it's I don't like it when kids are involved. And this one just really creeped me out. Um, But yeah, that was actually a story from a let's not meet. But it had just enough of a paranormal feel to it that I felt like it belonged on odd trails. But it's still, nonetheless, a true horror story, a very scary real life story. Yeah, because how else could that person get through to the house while the dad was in the hallway remodeling? That makes no sense. Exactly. And I share the disgust and fear that the author was talking about of one day actually seeing that videotape because they talked about how they asked their their little brother years later about it. Like, do you remember that? And they, they have no recollection of it whatsoever. That kid from that story is the only one that remembers this even happening. It's very traumatic and very true to life. Yeah. And speaking of real life there and not to dampen the mood, but something heart wrenching happened to me on Thursday morning that I've been wanting to tell you about. And wait, I, wait are you being like, you're being serious? Yeah, I'm being 100% okay, I thought, serious. I thought right you were now. starting a bit because I have no, uh, just so listeners know, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, yeah, it, it was not pretty. Um, I'm getting, I'm actually getting anxious thinking about it. Okay, here we go. So I prefer staying private about things involving my job and family, but seeing as how Odd Trails is a sister podcast to Let's Not Meet. I figured this little snippet of my own true horror was worth sharing. For about 20 minutes, I experienced what was unquestionably the worst day of my life. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I keep an air tag in my seven-year-old daughter's backpack. Okay. I've never had a reason to check it, but I know it exists because it pops up when I check the location of my other air tags. And while I was at work, I suddenly became overcome with this really strong sixth sense that I needed to check her location. Yeah. So she walks to school with other kids in her grade because there's a bus stop at the same corner of my old house and they're all escorted by school staff members. It's never been a problem. And I check her air tag and it shows her active location as somewhere halfway between my house and the school, but she should have been in class like 10 minutes prior Yeah. So I called my wife and she freaks out and calls the school. Then my wife calls me back and is panicking, 
saying she's not in class. Oh my God. And that the staff is now, yeah. And the staff is now running around to see if maybe she's lagging behind in the cafeteria or roaming the halls. Yeah. I'm trying my best to remain calm and I tell her to go outside and look around. So she does. And about a minute later, she screams bloody murder and starts hyperventilating. My throat closes up and I've got tunnel vision and I start shaking. I can't understand anything she's trying to say until I finally make out the words, her backpack and jacket. Whoa. Yeah. It was just laying like on the sidewalk off the side of the road. No sign of my daughter anywhere. No other kids around. Holy shit. Yeah. So I tell her to call the police. I sprint out of work without saying anything to anybody. Yeah, fuck that shit. I'm breaking. Yeah, I'm breaking every traffic law in the book. And I get to my house in like five minutes. And as I turn the corner, I see my wife holding our daughter's belongings, sobbing on the phone. Jesus. I start driving around the neighborhood. I call the school myself. And the front office receptionist answers the phone and she's already panting. And she tells me even the principal is involved now and that a bunch of staff members have been looking for my daughter inside and out. They can't find her. So I get off the phone and every imaginable morbid and depressing intrusive thought is running through my mind. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you immediately go to the worst. So my wife then gets a call back from the police about 10 agonizing minutes later And they said that they found a girl that matches my daughter's description. So with this glimmer of hope, I drive back to my wife and just wait. So the cop pulls up and I can only see the top of a girl's head sitting in the front seat. I run up, open the door and relief washes over me in an awesome wave. Zero out of 10, not a recommended experience. Wow. So what happened? What's the story? (laughs) It's unbelievable because... She's such a well-behaved kid and doesn't really get into trouble ever, but she's a little bit too independent and sassy for her own good. She had some money for the book fair that day, and she somehow snuck away from the group and took it upon herself to go find somewhere to buy a snack before school, which I just, it's baffling that she would ever do that. I teach her stranger danger, everything, and Yeah. This is like page for page. So many stories from Let's Not Meet. And the school doesn't phone in absences until after lunchtime. So if it weren't for that air tag and that gut feeling, which came out of nowhere, who's to say how it could have ended? And no, this episode is not sponsored by Apple. Buy some miracle bed sheets instead. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. check Check out your ZocDoc recommendations instead. Jesus, man, I'm sorry you went through that, but that is a wild story. I, I'm i glad you didn't update me during. Oh, yeah, I, I I'm glad you, I wasn't somebody that you called because I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I would have been freaking out as bad as you. Jesus Christ. And we don't know why she left her backpack and jacket behind. And I really hope it isn't because she knows about the air tag and she was trying to be naughty. I think she just wanted to lighten the load for her adventure. Like she's just blazing the Oregon trail or something. I don't know. That's insane. That's insane. I mean, that, that belongs on let's not meet. Obviously it's much, much more uh, effective hearing it from you directly. I'm, I'm impressed that you held on to that story for so long without telling me we, we've just been texting <laughs> back and forth casually and you did fail to bring up that. Oh yeah. My daughter, by the way, she disappeared and got picked up by the police. I know I, it, it took so much not to tell you, but. My chest hurts so much telling that story. Oh, man. But um, <sighs> yeah, there's actually a, a photograph from the 50s that won a Pulitzer Prize called, I think it's Tragedy by the Sea. And despite it being so sad, it's always been one of my favorites. It shows a couple embracing each other on a beach after they realize their toddler got swept away by the sea. Um, even though my anxiety was through the charts during all of this, I think I was just stuck in a state of hopeful denial and bordering shock. I felt compelled to look up that photo shortly after the dust settled from my experience. And that's that's when I finally was able to break down crying and every, the reality set in. Um, but I somehow held it together as best as I could and stayed rational and focused. But damn, I never want to experience that level of fear again. Easily the worst day of my life. And nothing actually happened, but the fact I felt that something did happen and you had the two confirming factors there, the abandoned backpack and jacket for one, and then not making it to school, this knowing or not knowing rather where your child is, not having a slightest clue, horrible feeling, absolutely horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. And actually one of the main reasons 
I'll be honest, one big reason that I don't have kids is because of how easily I freak out and stress out. I would be just a ball of nerves all the time. If my wife's 10 minutes late and I can't find her on our uh, Life360 app, which is a tracking app, kind of like the Apple Tag thing, um, I'm having a panic attack. I'm freaking out. I've called the cops before because she was an hour late and I couldn't find her. It just She just got off work an hour later than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's one that's one big reason is because I just I I have such bad anxiety and stress and that that stressed me out. It's amazing that I do a podcast about this because <laughs> I thought that I had become immune to these stories, but that one really threw me for a loop. Yeah, and plus it hit so close to home because you know her so well and yeah. Yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, it it was it was definitely rough. And we're both overthinkers and worry about everything way too much. And I think I do it as a way to kind of prime myself for the worse as if I can handle it better, which I can now say from experience, all my years of assuming the worst and bracing myself for the worst to happen, it hasn't helped me at all. So if anything, on the bright side, at least I know worrying all the time doesn't make it any better. So hopefully I can learn from this and not be so worrisome all the time because it, it doesn't do any good. Yeah, I, I will take a lesson from it as well. Uh, so there's a couple lessons we can learn here. Uh, one, don't worry yourself worrying. Yeah. <laughs> Stop worrying. Stop worrying about worrying. It's that easy. You don't need to. Yeah. Uh, the second is Apple AirTags, man. Or in my case, uh, we use Life360. It's a free app you can get on your phones. They have watches too. They have watches that are connected to a cell phone plan that just yeah. call out and have the location for kids. I'm going to get one of those too. Yeah. Anything to avoid having to actually put something in your body, <laughs> any type yeah. of wearable or something that you can use, yeah. by all means, do it. And uh, also listen to Let's Not Meet. There you go. Because <laughs> you, you may learn something just like we did today. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story, dude. And for the first time <laughs> on the air. <laughs> yeah. My chest hurts so bad right now. <laughs> yeah. We got to wrap this up. Yeah, I can't we do. We I'm, do. I'm sweating right now. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This week, you have heard The Blue and Silver Video Camera by Anonymous, Dream Premonition by Claire, Recurring Childhood Nightmare by Luis, my Mom's Haunted House by Not Your Mother's Ghost Story. A Welcome Visit by Bryce. And finally, Big Brother Watching Out by Michaela. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Make sure you send your stories in to stories at oddtrails.com if you'd like to hear them on the show. And don't forget to sign up for our Patreon if you want to get ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience. And check out all of my other podcasts at crypticcountypodcasts.com, like Let's Not Meet, The Old Time Radio Cast, and Welcome to Paradise It Sucks. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe. Peace out.